Welcome to The Impossible Network, a podcast about the stories of ordinary people living extraordinary lives. People who've broken through obstacles, fearlessly exceeded the boundaries society sets, taking the chances, regardless of risk, that most fear in pursuit of their mission, vision or goals. Each week we explore how their impossible became possible, how their upbringing affected them, how creativity fueled them, and how serendipity guided them. This week's guest is Alessandra Laria. Ali is a co-founder of She Says, a global community focused on engagement, education, and advancement for women in the creative fields. From starting with seven people in a room in London in 2007, She Says now has a presence in over 45 countries. And while diversity and inclusion remain a vital and pressing leadership issue in the creative industries, Ali continues to push the She Says agenda forward. Ali's impossible journey began growing up in a small village in the depths of the Amazon rainforest. It's taken her from making and selling perfume at junior school to learning to code in the early 90s at university in Rio to being an early creative pioneer in London's digital agency scene to being hired in 2007 by McCann New York as digital creative director before shifting focus in 2011 to product and service design ultimately leading to her appointment as executive creative director at global strategy and design firm Frog Design. With over 18 global industry awards to her name, listed in Fast Company's League of Extraordinary Women and their most creative people in business list, and with a clear vision for the future of She Says, Ali's impossible journey is far from over. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for being on the show, Ali. Welcome to the Impossible Network. My pleasure. Uh, Ali, you and I first met back in, I think it was around 2008, at our McCann days. Was it that time? Yeah. Yeah, it was around there. You were in New York and I was in London. I think we share that that view of creativity, that it's not really a domain reserved for the few, but a, it's a capacity within us all, albeit often suppressed and confined in many ways by the educational or corporate attitudes and conventions and norms that we've faced in working advertising and happening companies. And creativity has really been at the core of your journey. So I'd like to start where your journey began. <laughs> well, I'm Brazilian, as you can tell by the funny accent. I have a mix of Brazilian South London <laughs> accent. I was when I was one till I was ten I lived in the Amazon jungle. Uh, my dad was got a call to be one of the first doctors there and I think that influenced a lot of my upbringing and and um, how it informed my attitude and way of working and creating. Um, when you say the jungle, a city in the jungle? No. The jungle, the jungle, right? You know, there was like one street in my village and all the houses were powered by petrol generators and we only had TV from six to eight and and electricity. So it was like really basic. I guess it comes from living in the jungle. I kind of always had this kind of fearlessness about things and... And just being able to see things differently, living in not in a city and then moving to a city, I think it informed a lot of what I did. I've always, I was always a self-starter in the sense that I, you know, kids' first um, jobs are like a lemonade stand. Mine was like a perfume stand. (laughs) I used to make perfume by getting lavender from my grandmother's garden and putting alcohol in it wow (laughs) and putting on a little bottle and trying to sell it it was really fun this was your initiative or did your mother encourage you (laughs) i decided to do it i don't know why i decided to do it but it was my it was me um yeah and i always kind of from there always trying to do things a little bit different it's something that stays with me to this day I, i think i built a whole career by 
being different. Uh, so that was the beginning of your entrepreneurial sort of creative journey. Yeah. Wow. I didn't. I never knew. Never realized that. You know, sort of a, a I didn't tell you about you the never, the, never the, told the me perfume about. stand. No, never. <laughs> no. So I think it's fair to say then that you really are are one of the early digital creative pioneers. Going back to the sort of the I think the sort of the nineties when the early stage of the internet. What led you to focus and build your career in digital creativity? I mean, you could have gone down the the the, the fragrance route and good, an yeah, empire that way. I, yeah. I mean, they didn't smell that good in the end. Uh, but um, I I was really in love with computers. You know, I just really loved. Um, one of my first jobs was actually coding, and then I went to the more um, design side of things, but I was really in love with them. I started working um, when I was still, I was in at university working for the university publishers and I was working with the very first Macs, you know, there's like tiny boxes. I think it was called the Mac. The Mac, yeah, the first Mac. Yeah, so I was just, I, I just loved. on the screen. Yeah, I just loved trying to build, a, you know, types things and and trying to design on PageMaker was at the time, and everything was so slow, and and I would get things wrong, and then I kind of liked the accidents that, you know, the computer threw at me when I was doing things wrong, and I was just always fascinated by computers, so kind of started from there, like from the this I and I was and I did Mac and PC. I did research on PCs for the university, and I did design on the Macs for the universities. How do you get from the jungle selling perfume to being at university working with a, a Mac, an early stage Mac? So I was when I was one till I was 10, um, that was the jungle. And then when I was 10, I came to a big city, I guess. Um, and that's where I was trying to do my own things, like do the lemon, the lemonade stand, the perfume stand and my version of the lemonade stand. And also I, I started writing my own comic book. I made my own characters. And then I would just to go back to the idea that we're talking about being different. Then I decided to be a goth in Brazil in the heat in the Rio de Janeiro and, you know, very kind of 90 degrees of a terrible idea wearing black and mascara just, you know, (laughs) would never stay put. Um, And um, so I was, uh, I think, and I guess when I got to university, it was so interesting because. Um, the majority of the women, uh, the majority of people doing research for the uni publishers were women. However, nobody, the guys operating the computers were men. And I'm like, I'm going to do that. You know, I'm going to do that. And just went and did it. And and I was like probably one of the only women that knew how to operate the machines back in 1990s. Yeah. Do you think you had a natural aptitude for it? I I had a natural curiosity for oh, it. Okay. I probably wasn't that apt to begin with you know but I just was very curious and I was like what are they doing that I'm gonna do that um they as in the women um so yeah I just just went for it ever since I met you you've struck me as a very good listener but also very self-assured in your own in your own creative thinking that's a an early example of you being sort of self-assured and and actually sort of to use a um, uh, probably a Sheryl Sandberg that sort of overused phrase leaning in and sort of saying no I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be part of this I'm not going to be on the outside I want to actually yeah but I think what is different than the Sheryl Sandberg leaning in is that she was leaning in into someone else's world mm-hmm. right she was like for me in my perspective she was trying to get women to be to fit into the status quo and for me it was always the opposite I was leaning in by being me and being different uh huh 
Um, so um, I guess like this idea of playing with difference was what made me confident because it takes a lot of confidence to do something that no one else is doing and still keep doing it because then, then naturally people are going to try and say no and get you back. So, and presumably culturally in Brazil at that time, it wasn't expected to, for women to be stepping into that sort of domain. No, yeah, Brazil, I think, is, is still, there are still places where, you know, our, for advertising industry is not great still. Um, design industry is even worse. Um, so, yeah, I, I just kind of, I just, I had no fear, and maybe that goes back to the jungle of like being different, and the difference made me a confident person. And also, I guess my my parents were awesome in the sense that they always traveled everywhere with us, you know, around South America. We were always traveling and seeing different things. And, you know, we were just chatting before this, like they almost got arrested in Chile for singing um, anti-Pinochet slogans. And we were with them all the time. I've seen military approaches with guns and you know so i've seen like i've seen very interesting parts of the world and of the world and i guess that also helped mm -hmm. just to clarify what was your father's career that led you to move around like that he was a doctor mm -hmm. yeah my mom was a, a history teacher but then she started working in education but my my father my dad was a doctor and the only reason why we got we didn't get arrested in Chile was because he served as a doctor in the military, and then he has still had his little ID from the military, and he said, "No, it's fine, I'm military." And then they they let us go; otherwise, we would be arrested. Wow! <laughs> so your your upbringing, your parents really did uh, encourage that sense of creative exploration, confidence that it, it you believe that it did actually play a part in your defining who you are. Yes. Yes, part of part of it is me and and the idea of like always trying to look at things the other in in other ways and but part of like looking at things the other way comes from my parents. Was that more your mother or your father? Both. Both of them. Mm -hmm. So you're saying you've got siblings. My brother too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my brother. Um, my brother is the John Peel. The John John Peel is a very famous. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> is a very famous DJ. Uh, yeah DJ in the UK and he. He started making, my brother started making his own fanzines when he was still, he was, when he was 15 and then became a record label, uh, an indie record label in Brazil. And he, you know, so both of us, and it's funny because we're both very creative and, and my, my dad was a doctor, very analytical sometimes. And my mom was a teacher and none of them had jobs in design or any considered creative fields, but they were very creative in their own ways. Besides your digital creative roles in advertising and design, you've also been pr responsible for promoting the creative opportunities for women around the world through your own personal innovation, the social network, she says, which I think you launched back in 2007, 2008. Mm -hmm. Yep. You touched on um, women's empowerment, the desire to be different, but also to not sort of stand back and grasp what you want. Did you identify that as missing in a lot of other women and you felt responsible or you felt a need to try and encourage other women to have the same sense of self-belief? What was it that led you to uh, to launch She Says? Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think women were, women were, they were not and are not lacking self-belief. I think I think the we are lacking a different perspective and a new system. 
and I was this is what we were trying to create. We are trying to have different perspectives um, and almost and, and almost a new operating system for the world of work and creativity and advertising. We we wanted different perspectives. This is why to, that's why Laura, my co-founder, and I created. She says in the UK in 2007 because whenever it came to judging awards and um, you know get invited to speak at events, it was always the two of us and we're like this is not right you know it needs to be at least 10 of us to begin with so we wanted other women to do what we were doing so we started like that and um and the when we started she says there was nothing again to go back to the the difference um the different there was nothing like it like there were two women's groups and they were for senior women it was like all power suits, senior women you had to pay and you didn't have a say. So we wanted to do exactly the opposite of that. Like she says, there's no barriers for entries. That's why everything is free and, um, and non-hierarchical. You can approach us at any time. And what is very different is, the, is for the community and by the community. In that sense, the community has a say. So all the events that we do, most of the events on the bigger chapters, we don't come up with them. The community comes up with them. So we, it, we, she says, it's run truly run by the community. So when when you originally you identified this back in two thousand and seven with Laura, and Laura also works in the industry. Yeah, she does. She's she has a she's a partner of an agency called Mr. President. She's also she's on the creative side too. Okay, so when you both sat down and identified that there was an issue there, how did you go from that sort of that vision or that sort of that drive? An initial idea all the way through into building what is now essentially a global creative network we um always had this principle of not being scared of or afraid to start small um we, our first meeting was seven of us at an agency called dare in london back then and then we would always ask women to bring more women or men and you know seven ten became 50 then then became 100 and now it's probably last time i counted it was forty five thousand. <laughs> so across how many countries um countries i'm not sure i think it's about 45 cities mm-hmm. yeah that's incredible yeah including the middle east um and asia all continents actually <laughs> and how have you seen the women's perspectives change and their perspective towards leadership change over the 10 years that you've been running she says I've seen more women get higher up at like agencies, design studios. Um, it's my favorite thing when someone I've mentored or a junior designer gets to be a, a, a creative director somewhere. So I've seen those things happen. I've seen she's uh, the, uh, she, I've seen in a group like she says become five thousand other groups. We've still pioneered a bunch of things. But we're still the first to do many things including speed mentoring events first women's hackathon in new york we had a lot of firsts but i i've seen not only individuals women individuals um step up but i've also seen groups communities of women just just procreate Mm. (laughs) very fast so which is which is amazing but it as you as you identified earlier, there's still a long way to go. There's still barriers. Yes. There's still, you could argue, a lot of it is dominated by men. Yeah, there is still a stupid pay gap everywhere you go. Um, and whether it's UK, US, Brazil, anywhere, there's still a pay gap. And it gets worse if you're a black woman. It gets even worse if you're a Latino woman. I think the pay gap for Latino women is 55%. Wow. Yeah. That's a standard across 
UK, that's mostly US, US. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how are you, how are you as an organization, or how is your network trying to sort of raise the debate on that and address it? We our approach is to basically create a forum where women can learn from each other and become better. And it's it's basically a bottom up approach, right? Well, all we're giving is we're giving them a forum to get their voices heard. We're giving them the confidence. We're giving them um, we're giving them all, even a place to be a speaker because sometimes you do these big conferences and they're all like very famous speakers and actually we think our collective voices are more interested and in there are people that never spoke before they have a lot to say so we're about giving them that voice too it's not just because you're someone very important I, I like we were saying in the beginning we think all of us can be creative a lot of us I also have very interesting things to say, mm. you know, and none of, you know, and, and you might not be Sheryl Sandberg that gets to write a book, but you have something interesting to say. And I think the collective intelligence of women is potentially more powerful than a Sheryl Sandberg writes a book because we, we can, we have different perspective and it's, you know, and you, t and you take what is interesting to you. That's why we, we did the, the free career advice tool called uh, Boom. So if you go to shesaysboom.com, it's just like the advice that you're going to seek is base, basically tailored to you. Because if you read a book, it's just one perspective. Whereas if you have a hundred perspectives of women, one of them you're going to identify with, right? Yeah. Whereas if you read a book, you might identify with 1% of that book. You might identify with 100%. I identified with like 1% of that book. <laughs> So it's been 10 years. Um, in that time, obviously, you've witnessed a lot of change in terms of the diversity and levels of inclusion, albeit still not where you would like it to be. But um, I, I recently I read that you'd said that you'd switched from hoping things will change to knowing things will change. What changes do you expect to see for women in society and business or even politics over the next 10 years? I think having more women in leadership positions will help create a new world work order because it's not just having women in leadership positions but it's also how we view leadership and different perspective on how we work uh, for example um, I've known a lot of um, new companies mostly women-led again where they for example have four-day week work mm -hmm. they have uh, a different approach to how you you know you can have as much holiday as you want so just don't corrupt the system. Yeah. Let's be all honest because we're all, all, all adults here. I think the change is not the change in mindset and perspective on leadership. I think it's like a change in from coming from the leadership in culture that affects the way we work. It sounds more trust-based. There's more vulnerability, embracing acceptance of failure. Yes. Obviously, managed and controlled failure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, it's, a, it's an overused word at the moment um, in the industry, particularly because of the sort of the fail fast, fail cheap attitude. Yeah, I think all those those two or three things, with the addition of you being a good listener, it's the leaders don't have to talk and have all the answers all the time, but they they have to be good at listening. Sometimes I, I was joking with someone that a CEO is like a community manager. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you have to keep an eye on the business, but ultimately you need to keep an eye 
inside your company. If your people are happy, your business will be great. Your business will thrive. If your people are unhappy, I think there is very little that you can do. I mean, you saw the stats, like mm -hmm. it's over 70% of the workforce are not happy and engaged on the creative industries. So... And how are you going to have great creative ideas and that sort of with that? Yeah, working yeah. stupid. This yeah. is what, how you work right now. <laughs> and having leaders that don't recognize that. That's why, for example, mothers don't, don't, don't like work after they have kids and most of them leave the industry. And that's why I know brilliant women that are doing their own thing right now because the way we work is stupid. Why? Because we have only one perspective. I think... Um, Uh, Melinda Gates, Bill Gates' wife, put it in a really interesting way. She said, our daughters are working in a working environment made, made for our grandfathers. So it's not just a case of women in leadership positions. It's the whole way we work needs to change. And I think a new perspective from women will help with that. A women-led agency or a women-led studio will be very good to mothers for example and we'll understand how they work and operate and we'll allow for a new way of working that suits them this doesn't happen right now because all the way the ways that we work were created basically from one perspective mostly white male mm. so for example the idea that we have to especially in the advertising industry which is absolutely stupid um, that we have to it's like how long you stay at work that's ridiculous because there is research that proven that is not You know, your performance is not related to time spent at work. Yeah, and particularly in creative and design. Yeah, Although it's, it's related to, you know... Sitting in the office. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And it's, it's related to performance and it's, it's not related to how long, how, how long you spend in your desk. So I think having more perspective, have more women in leadership position will help other women, but will also help the way we work and the way we lead. Like women bring new ways of leading too, so... I think it's just it's a systemic change. It's not just more women in leadership positions because of the because of gender. It's because of the perspective and changing the way we work, change the way we think, multiples way that we think, and not just women, but women of color, like you know, different different backgrounds, different cultures. Are there any examples out there of organizations you've witnessed that are led by? women are of their of a, a better sort of level of inclusion within those organizations and you're seeing a change in the way that they are managed? Yes, yes. Usually um, women-owned agencies, like um, Creative Corina at Mother, she she once told us that she, if she wanted to set an example of living by 5.30, she had to live at 5.30. So because people have to pick up kids or because they just need the time to meditate or whatever it is. So I've seen that happen in a few places and is there anything within that she says in terms of do you have a um either a, a sort of a mission statement a vision statement to support that way of leadership yeah our, our mission be? is actually to get more women in leadership positions because i think if we do that we're gonna change a bunch of things for the better mm -hmm. even not even not beyond creative you know i truly believe that if we had more women In government, there will be way less wars. <laughs> well, it's going to be very interesting to start timestamp this podcast at the midterms. Um, mm -hmm. What will happen with more women running than ever before um, for yes. these positions? That could create a sort of seismic change in the sort of the nature of U.S. politics. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we're seeing around the world. You're, we're seeing. Look at the, uh, for example, Norway. Um, that obviously have a president of Norway. Yeah, and Iceland made it illegal for women and men to get paid different yeah. salaries. We need more Icelands. Mm -hmm. um, 
Uh, also, it was really interesting to see the Prime Minister of New Zealand bring her kids to the UN. You know exactly. So we are seeing change in in areas maybe where you wouldn't expect it, which is obviously the political arena. So it's it's crazy in a way that uh, the creative domain and design and creativity is languishing somewhere behind where we are in politics. Yeah, and but then again, the the flip side of that is that we get governor. Yeah, <laughs> let's not go there. <laughs> no, let's not. <laughs> okay, so I'd like to understand what role serendipity has played or happy accidents. Uh, have occurred along the way that led you to where you are today or was this some great grand plan and process that you put in place back in the in the in the uh, jungles of brazil <laughs> definitely not some great grand plan um i think i think part of it a little bit of again wanting to do something different it's a mix of wanting to do something different that i haven't done before learning new new skills and a little bit of serendipity. So, I, for example, when I left McCann, you remember that yeah. I, I wanted to do more products and services, and and then I've decided, okay, how am I going to do that? I have no experience in doing that, so I've used she says to create my own, and I've tried. When you say products and services, because some people might not quite yeah. understand the, the context of that. So yeah, I'll, I'll give you an example. So I was like, okay, when I left McCann, I was like, I'm going to do my own. And I, so I, I said, what do I have? I have a network at the time was in New York was like 4,000 women. And when I'm, and then my thought was like, why don't I get these women to uh, just get additional income by selling their ideas on a platform, an online platform. So that's why I created Shout. It was very interesting, learn a lot from it. And we were, we were going for two years and women did get paid and you know we did do that additional income so I, I was just having trouble scaling the the business partly because of me and I was I'm very good at closing deals when I know people when I don't know people and I have to cold call I'm terrible <laughs> so it was very interesting learning and that kind of launched me to meet other people that then decided to like do other startups with or you know um, have an experience and help startup groups with their branding and comms and they will teach me about products and services and then which led me to completely change my career um, from advertising to go into design and and that's when I started working at Frog when I did it was more kind of the innovation space. Right so so the serendipity element of it came from where I think the serendipity came from I decided that I wanted to do something different and therefore went and met different people it's the other th the same thing with networking mm -hmm. right if you want to meet brilliant people you shouldn't chat to your immediate network yeah. you should chat to your second immediate network or third immediate network so it spearheaded a whole like new career for example so this is in a way this is a pattern and it's no different to you when you went to the university and saw people using the Mac and thought, I want a bit of that. Yes. And you were saying, I want to get into products and service design and yeah. there was nothing to stop you. Yeah. For me, it comes down to this this facet of your character that you're open to change, that you're not resistant. So there's an element of fearlessness there that seems to be sort of instilled, like you said, by your parents and your upbringing. Yeah, I and I think um, adaptability as well. Like I, I adapt really fast to many situations. I've gone from having a big salary from having a small salary, and I adapted. Then I, I adapted. I, I went from 
living in almost a squat <laughs> in London to like having, you know, make building my own house and I can and I can go back either way. Like I can basically just work with what I have. And mm. I guess that is a very Brazilian thing. Yeah. I can definitely work with what I have. I've worked with you directly in New York for close on a year and a half, two years, and I never really encountered any pessimism or felt that you feared failure. And obviously we touched on that, sort of that, that, that fearlessness that you have or a sense of rejection. But there's a lot of people in the creative business and the design industry that still have a glass half empty attitude um, or harbor self-limiting beliefs that hold them back avoid them from taking risks or chances how do you actually manage to remain optimistic in the face of potential sort of failure or rejection i think yeah i'm a total compulsive optimist i guess i guess the the thing that we were chatting before was the idea of like a growth mindset i don't see failure as failure i see failure as learning and that's a very different mindset Sometimes people are very hard on themselves because they see failure as failure and you're never going to recover from it. I see failure as learning. That's what makes me a, a compulsive optimist. I've always, yeah, I've always been this way. As you say, this is something that was, that was in your upbringing. How do you, or how does society, or how do groups like yours instill that, that sense of belief or that attitude to life when people that maybe haven't grown up with that, that have come from very sort of stable upbringings and maybe haven't had the parental support that you had. Have you got any mechanisms within, she says, to encourage women to sort of think differently? I think the idea of it being very open and, and that we always say this to everybody, like, just say it, you know, don't think whether it's wrong or not, just say it. If it's wrong, it's wrong, and you're going to get it right next mm. time. And I guess it's just making them do the first step and making them try something is kind of, I guess, where, where we start with people being from speakers that never spoke before or an intern that wants to get a job. There, there is this one phrase that comes up all the time when they say something and then we say, why not? You know, why not is a very, is a, as good as the five whys. Like, yeah. you know, the five whys yes. when you want to really go deep into what you really, why you're really uh -huh. doing something, you have to ask yourself why, uh, why five times. But there is a very, there is a very powerful thing on the why not. We just say, okay, why not? The minimum that can happen is people don't get back to you or, you know, you don't get this, but you can, but you look at all the things that you've learned. So I guess That's it's just tip. the, the thing that we give is just this forum for them to be able to like do their first why not mm. that's brilliant you've won you've won countless awards and you've been listed by as a global creative force by magazines as varied as forbes and fast company you've also worked alongside some of the world's most prolific creative uh, creatives and designers and the best agencies in london new york what's your view now on and your observation on creative creativity and innovation is it a talent that can be developed and nurtured or do you believe it's something that's just uh, innate in people and some people have it and some people don't i think it's a little bit like i think all of those things come from curiosity right and some people are just naturally curious some people are aren't i think creativity comes from curiosity and and I think curiosity is, if, if you have an innate curiosity, it makes things much easier. If you don't have an innate curiosity, you have to develop that. And I think it's, it's 
possible. I think I've I've done that with designers and um, many people that I worked alongside. Um, sometimes people say, oh, you know, some curiosity is something that you can't teach. We used to joke and we can like, all we wanted to be is like curious and open-minded because I can teach you Photoshop and everything yeah. else. Well, now sketch. Uh-huh. Um, but just some people have it, some people don't, but I do think that you can pull it out out of someone a little bit. Talking about the sort of the managerial style um, of male-led organizations and as, as there becomes an increasing level of diversity and inclusion in organizations, how do we ensure that that coincides with a move toward more embracing creativity and curiosity more at the heart of organizations? Because we know that the next 10, 20 years as artificial intelligence becomes more pervasive and omnipresent in our society, that creativity is going to be the thing that defines us and as our ro- and maintaining a role for humanity in the in the workplace you touched on something really interesting there which is the new beyond ai is just how we lead and i think we need to get better women and men at being listening and being present and having a new leadership style that is all about learning and being present and listening and I think more importantly, th- this idea that for us to progress is going to be power with, not power over. I think what happens a lot, especially in our industry, is you know big egos that wants to have power over, and we need new perspectives. There is all about power with. That's really interesting. So can you delve into that a little bit more? I mean, I naturally understand the power over, but the power with. Um, how would that sort of manifest itself in a in an organization? In lots of ways, the power with is if a junior designer, for example, wants to make a mistake, and you said this is not going to work, let them make the mistake. If it's a controlled risk, let them make the mistake. I, I had this happen once when a designer had four ideas, and the fourth one was terrible. And I said terrible, but he. He had to go through the journey of listening, doing it and presenting it, listening from the client. And it was it wasn't it wasn't gonna be a disaster if he presented it. So so this it's like taking this mini risks with people so that they can learn their own way is mm-hmm. one way of doing it. So really when it comes down to it, it's a it's a lack of hi- the, the the traditional hierarchical I'm right, you're wrong, I'm more experienced, you've got less, do what I say to more embracing and inclusion and allowing people to, as you say, to um, experience themselves why yeah. something isn't going to work. Yeah, they will learn way more. And do you think that is... If they that, feel it. <laughs> but do you, do, you sense, do you have a sense that that is more of a female characteristic or is that just something that's lacking in most people in business, in the creative industries today and it's a, it's a, it's a characteristic that needs to be embraced? Um, I, I like, yeah, I know a lot of women that are naturally this way. Mm-hmm. They will kind of encourage you to make your own mistakes, be always present and listening. But it's also because the industry has only one perspective so far and we need different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes the industry had this perspective that it has to be power over, as I say, because a lot of people, because it's all we know. If we don't know any better, there is there people are not going to change but this is what we need to do we need to show different ways of doing things so we change this way of working 
Mm. What no, you're I'm thinking? A, I might, I might not put the, I might not put this in the podcast, but I, to be sort of a contrarian, I, have, I have worked with female creative leaders that are the opposite of what you're saying, that won't. So I don't think it is just a gender no, characteristic. I think it is something I agree with not, you. No, but you know something interesting that you say is interesting that you say that because I've observed that many women. Um, suppress their that side on her on them because there is no other way and they think that's the only way to succeed that's very so it might be that the women they work with are not like that really mm-hmm. you know I was like that at some point but then I realized that wasn't me and I've made grown men cry but I felt awful and that wasn't me mm-hmm. my way of leading was completely different so um, and there's a really interesting article on The Atlantic with a research made by um, uh, partners in law firms, uh, which says that when uh, there is a one woman partner, she is terrible to other women and everybody else. But when there's two women partners, they are totally different and they really help everybody in the company, especially women. Mm-hmm. And Do you remember that article, where that is? And yeah, it, it was about notes. the queen bee. It's the queen bee effect. It's called the queen bee effect. Okay, maybe you can share that and I'll put it in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely want to read that. It's a really interesting sort of perspective on what you're saying, that it might be behaviours adopted by women leaders that are contrary to maybe their natural femininity and their sort of natural management style because it's been culturally a cultural pressure on them to behave in a certain way. Mm-hmm. How do we address that? How do you address that at a an industry level? You don't. It's bullshit. You just have to change it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't. It's. I mean, you don't keep doing. You don't keep. You know. You don't keep the same status quo for leadership. You just have more people that think differently in leadership positions, I think. Do you think that's going to be one of the legacy impacts of She Says, that you're instilling that belief in women not to um, feel the cultural pressure to behave in a certain yes. way or no- embrace a certain norm? Yes. I, by having gone through it myself, mm. you know, I, yeah, it's just, it kind of backfires at some point. It's just not, not who you are. And it's just, it's, it's not a good position to be. It kind of, you know, makes your life miserable, makes yourself miserable. I know so many women that had to adopt a persona that they, that is not them. And it's just sad. <laughs> Can we do some quick fire questions? Mm-hmm. What principles do you live by or stand by? Um, well, my mission in life, of course, is the same as she says, to have more um, women leaders. Um, but I, I... I also have this principle that I would like to I like to give before I take um, and and just being kind in general that that helped me with a lot um, of things in my career, my life, and a lot of the serendipity that we were talking about mm-hmm. before. Well, I think it's uh, it's interesting that I've used this before in one of the other interviews I did recently, which was um, a quote from Tim O'Reilly, which is "Create more value than you capture." And I think mm. what you're talking about is very similar to that in terms of um, giving uh, rather than just taking. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think also that sort of sense of kindness as well is it, it is opening up opportunities. I mean, I, people use the word karma, but it's I think it's a good characteristic to embrace and not something that's a natural characteristic would ever be 
um, you would read in, in management books, traditional <laughs> management books in terms of uh, management, management style? Well, I don't know. There are lots of uh, new literature on, you know, about this idea that the new leadership is nurturing, is kind, mm -hmm. is vulnerable. Yeah. I think a great example actually is the, I can't remember his name, um, the CEO of Tom Shoes. Yes. Because as a leader, I think he's very interesting because it's not having all the answers, but being confident that we're going to get there, right? Which is very different. Like sometimes you don't have all the answers in the moment, but you're confident that you're going to get there. Mm -hmm. And I think he is one of these people that embraces it, this, I, this mindset. And I think also that we're, as we are moving into a period, I mean, we've talked a bit about change in the past and having a mind a change of what you call it a growth mindset or a change mindset that we've come from a society and we're talking here not just about the hierarchical men male dominated mm -hmm. industries but a society that has been defined by certainty and consistency and we're moving into society of uncertainty and rapid change and that attitude Uh, that embracing a sense of vulnerability and uncertainty as to not necessarily having the answers, but being prepared to fail and to take chances and take risks is the characteristic that will probably define companies. Yes. And maybe that's why it's women's time to take a, a, a more central role in, in business and leadership because that is a more, maybe arguably, that those are characteristics better exemplified by women leaders. Yes, although there are very, lots of men that have those characteristics uh, of too. Of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not saying there aren't. And I think you know, but it's Yuval Noah Harari um, said in his recent book, "The 21 Rules for the 21st Century," that we need to embrace critical thinking, communication, collaboration, and creativity, and teaching it both at, at schools and within our organizations to be able to prepare for what's ahead. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's a, a gender-related thing, but I think it's more of a mindset yes, change. Yes, I agree, yeah. Yeah, I think with the gender thing, it's just important for women to see other women there. Um, the same with um, black people. And if, I think it's important to see someone there that is like you, that you can relate to. But in terms of like mindset, the men and women have, can have this different mindset. We just need different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And probably the combination of the two perspectives is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Another quick fire question. What hard choices have you had to make that may have been tough, but turned out in the end to have been the right decision? I think the, the career change accompanied by not a big salary <laughs> um, was a really tough change, but it, it, I feel much happier um, in my career, I feel like I've learned a completely different new skill. And now it's interesting because as a consultant, I can consult either way or I can combine both worlds. I can combine the advertising comms marketing world and I can combine the design, design thinking, innovation. And this world. was the career change when you left big agency world, McCann, yeah, when I left to, McCann, to yeah. do product and service design. Yeah, right. yeah. Okay. Interesting. Where do you go to discover new ideas? Oh, gosh. When I didn't have kids, I would travel. 
<laughs> but now my new ideas come in the shower is the best <laughs> is the, so the long, long showers well, wait, yeah look, because you know i think um it, there was this really beautiful i can't remember the exact quote by proust that says it's not you know if you're going to go on the journey it's not necessarily new landscapes that you seek it's just new a new new eyes you know um and you can just have new eyes on the same place that's, um, yeah that's a great quote <laughs> Being a mother and being a parent, and being a digital native, and understanding the, the the beneficial but also the detrimental impact of technology on children's development, how do you balance the use of technology against the withdrawal of technology from their lives to ensure that they have a stable and the correct upbringing? Yeah, they they have screen time. They have they they know that they can have screen, like twenty minutes in the morning and then an hour, an hour and a half in the evening, and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, in, and I try to do the same because if I'm around looking at my, my phone and my computer all the time, it's not setting a great example. So mm. I try not to be looking at my phone all the time when I'm with them. And I try not to be looking at my computer all the time with them. It's just like, yeah, it's uh, again, the example starts with you, right? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of ridiculous to say, okay, I'm limiting screen time and you're like there on your phone all the time and not talking to your kid, you know, mm. so. Okay. The impossible question. So you find yourself in She Says um, at a forum and some young up-and-coming ambitious uh, designer, creative, whether it be product design or advertising, <laughs> uh, technology, uh, comes up to you and they uh, want to sp- get your mentorship or your their advice and they've got a an impossible what they believe to be an impossible dream or a mission and they just can't see a way forward of how they're ever going to achieve their their goal or their aim what would your advice be to them i don't think it's the end result that matters is the journey to get there and you will learn on that journey no matter what so you just have to think about all the things that you are learning along the way. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Two other quick questions. We'd like to offer listeners with the best comments a book that you would recommend people read and we'll give it away to the three best comments. What book would you recommend? Is that, does it have to be um, Does it have to be a business book? It can be anything you want. Huh. Well, I just I I'm very bad at this because I always like really dark things, Mark. Mm, it's yeah. just I think it's just the counterbalance to my very optimistic side. I always <laughs> read and watch really dark things, <laughs> but I really loved a book called um, a, a Little Life. It's huge. It's like I think it's like 800 pages and it's grueling, but mm-hmm. it's um, what's genre. It's fiction. Fiction. Yeah. Right. Okay. For um, nonfiction, I enjoy reading um, Applied Empathy um, by Michael Ventura. Uh, it's, it's as an industry person, I identify with that, but if you're not, an, you know, but it, I think... That's Michael Ventura from Sub Rosa? Yeah. yeah. It, it, has a, it, it, has a, it has also this Q&E cards, like questions and, and empathy, which it can help you figure out um, more of your kind of personality and then understanding the ones that you are not so you can kind of empathize with those that you are not so i found that interesting i i use cards in workshops on a daily basis so i found that interesting oh okay it's on my list to read anyway so that's a good one maybe we'll give that one away as well 
Who should we interview next? This is the one I don't know. <laughs> so many people that are so interesting. Um, my brother? <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, I think I think he has a really interesting journey again. Um, creativity. I don't know. It's really hard. Um, Maybe it should be Michael Ventura. Yes, he's very. He's a very interesting person. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you interview Michael? I should. I've met him once, so maybe reach out to him. Yeah. Maybe we can, uh, he can help with the introdu- reintroduction. <laughs> I will. Okay. And the final thing, where do you think She Says will be 10 years from now? I would like She Says to be the place to go for um, advocating for other women. Right now, we do a lot of mentorship, but I think beyond mentorship, we need to be accountable for actually getting women in more leadership positions. We actually have to be accountable for getting them jobs in where they want, you know. So I'm trying to create tools mm-hmm. where we can help, actively help women to get where they want to go. Look forward to seeing it. <laughs> okay. Well, check out Boom as the first step. Boom, right. <laughs> okay, where will people find that? Uh, she says boom.com. And what about on social media? Where are you there? Um, my personally or she says, I don't have any social media. Wow, great. Yeah, nothing. Way, way forward. It goes with my um, not using the phone so much at the weekends or after 8 o'clock at night. Um, and I have not been on social media since 2011. Great. Okay, so it's uh, she says. <laughs> so you, don't, you won't find me, but yeah. you'll find she says. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's probably the best place to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much, Ali. I really appreciate it and look forward to how she says develops over yeah, the next 10 pleasure. years. Thank you very much. Okay, folks, that's it for this week. If you like the show, please subscribe and ideally give us a five-star rating and a review because it helps us reach more people. Just go to iTunes, Acast, Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you listen to subscribe and rate. If you want to learn more or have someone you'd like us to interview, visit theimpossiblenetwork.com or follow us on Instagram at The Impossible Network. Have a good week.